0: I'm Keith MacArthur. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is a podcast about my son. Bryson. The <gasps> rare disease that keeps him from walking or talking. I
1: mean, Bryson's
2: perfect, but his life is really hard.
0: And our family's search for a cure.
2: Oh my gosh, maybe science is ready for this.
0: It's part memoir, part medical mystery.
2: We can do just about anything. Modifying DNA. My
1: heart and my throat.
0: Cure is controversial. Unlocking Bryson's Brain. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast.
1: I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Black Art. On our show last week, we met Janet Nisbet, who for eight years was a caregiver to her husband, Richard Limmert. Richard died in January. Janet's caregiving days have ended, but she's been working through some intense and complex feelings of grief. Here's a bit of what she had to say
2: The moment you become a caregiver, you start grieving. You know, there's just layers of that. You're grieving for yeah. all this, for their loss. You're grieving for your loss. It's just micro losses for best part, in our case, best part of eight years. So you're really tired.
1: Janet described a healthcare system that has a lot of difficulty acknowledging, let alone supporting, the emotional needs of spouses and other close family members who care for loved ones. All too often, both the grief and the gaps in emotional support are apparent years before loved ones pass away. One woman who knows that, and a lot more, is Esther Schreiber.
2: Hi, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. This is Brian. Hello.
1: Hi, Eddie. I'm Brian. Pleased to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. No. Esther's husband, Eddie Schreiber, looks right at me. No. Every time I call his name, he turns to face me. No. But other than the word no, he says nothing.
2: Are you okay if we stay for a little bit? No, no. No, no. no. It it doesn't mean yes, it doesn't mean no. It means that it's a word that I
1: remember. He's got blue eyes and he's dressed in a maroon striped pullover and dark pants. He's lost his hair, but he still looks a lot like the handsome guy in the wedding photo that hangs on the wall to his left. That photo was taken nearly 45 years ago, when he and Esther were busy planning a life together. Today... They live apart.
2: You're watching TV? Oh, no. okay.
1: This is Eddie's room at the Apotex Center at Baycrest in Toronto, the long term care home where he lives. Eddie, a civil engineer, was diagnosed with young onset dementia when he was 57.
2: He's 68 now. Do you want to sit? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. How's your emotional state these days? The last several weeks to a month have been uh, exceptionally busy, so I'm going to say on a little bit of a roller coaster.
1: It's been that way for Esther for much of the past 11 years since Eddie first started showing signs of dementia. Before talking about that, Esther wanted me to know what her husband was like in the before time.
2: Oh, I was the luckiest girl on the planet. I met a great, great, great guy, heart of gold, Uh, attentive, focused and very dedicated to his family, to his friends to his way of being
1: And a detailed guy, I gather as an engineer he must have been
2: Very detail oriented, that was his thing and he executed detail superbly, somewhat of a perfectionist so that everything that goes with that as well, but certainly a perfectionist and always with everyone else in mind We have a son, and we have identical twin daughters that we really enjoyed raising. Lots of challenges, lots of fun, lots of activity, lots of chaos. (laughs) But that goes part and parcel with, you know, life. It was always a partnership. It was always a partnership in everything, and I don't just mean that in the logistical sense, but I lived in an era where... You know, that wasn't necessarily always the case to be able to be expecting that from your, you know, partner. So Eddie was involved in everything, domestic and not domestic. Like he always was active with raising the kids. Yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better partnership as far as that was concerned. That is until he got sick.
1: And you would have had every reason, every every right to think this would just go on for for a long, long time into the future.
2: You know, we literally started from nothing and that we'd be able to look around late into our, you know, sunset years, side by side, rocking chairs, if you will, and, you know, be able to continue to count the blessings of everything that we had experienced and accomplished, never dreamt in a million years of dreams or nightmares that anything like this would ever happen. So...
1: Take me back. What What was your first indication that things were headed on a different path?
2: Biggest alarm Bell went off when he went out one day to run an errand for his mother in a neighborhood that he had lived in for nearly five decades. So it was quite familiar. And he came back about 20 minutes later and said, can't find the bank. It's five-minute drive, pretty linear drive. That was quite alarming. One of my our daughters was home at the time, and she helped him with it. And then very shortly after that, he actually backed the car. Uh, as he was parking, he backed the car into the back wall of our garage and took off the back end of his car. It was time to seek medical investigation into what was going on. You know, you lose your train of thought momentarily. Was this something more? What could this possibly be?
1: And I gather it led to, to his diagnosis of an unusual form of dementia.
2: Yes. It uh, did take a total of about nine months of testing. It is a somewhat rare form of dementia Uh, It's known as corticobasal disease or syndrome, depends what you're looking at.
1: Corticobasal degeneration or syndrome is a brain disorder that affects the frontal and temporal lobes. The initial symptoms may resemble Parkinson's, but it's a form of dementia in which people lose the ability to speak and even to name objects. Like Eddie, the disease usually starts between the ages of 50 and 70. You must have been clinging. To the hope that it would be something like, you know, a calcium level that's up, you know, something right. something that could be removed.
2: Thyroids that go
1: funny and whatever. Vitamin B12, all, all the things that they test and for, def- depression.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And with every test, you know, oh, if it can really be that simple, that would be awesome. I, and I think my first place that, you know, my imagination went was that this might be some kind of a brain tumor. And even then, I clung to a lot of hope that although debilitating as that might be, there's a somewhat quicker fix, not an ongoing chronic decline that could take years and beyond decades, even in some cases, and none of us are aware what timelines might be.
1: We've been talking a lot about Eddie and his symptoms, but we're here to talk about you as well. And... As this dawning realization of what was happening that I guess took took a long time, how were you feeling? What was going
2: on inside your head, oh. In your heart? Oh. oh, and there were huge gaps between my head and my heart. So, in your head, it's, you know, we're going to deal with this together. We will face it together. We've faced other challenges and adversities throughout life together. But, so it was in my head, you know, I still had a partner. Doesn't matter whether that partnership, you know, maybe you're used to 50-50. Okay, so now it's 55-45. Maybe it'll go to 75-25. That's okay. In my heart... I was drip by drip by slow drip. Losing the person, personality, abilities. You know, he was increasingly becoming more agitated, harder to sort of get him into a calmer zone. I could see he was scared. So in your heart, like, it's breaking again, drip by drip by drip. There was no way of being able to say, well, the next thing I might be able to expect is this, and brace myself for it. Everything that we had to deal with was always after the fact, always surprise, here's a symptom, how do you deal with it? You know, how do I deal with this? How do I cope with this? You just do, and then you wonder, how much longer can I? At no point do you think, how do I rebuild my life? How do I build a future? Do I have a future? What does the future have in store? Those are not things that you have the luxury of considering at any time.
1: It sounds a little bit like mourning someone who is still alive.
2: What is that like? It's very much mourning somebody that's still alive. And I think, you know, one of the social workers that I was lucky enough to meet... Uh, actually shared something that I guess is distributed within the social working world in these cases, uh, and that psychologists call it ambiguous loss. And when I finished reading it, I said to her, you know what, I'm really grateful that you shared it. The reality is, is that there's nothing ambiguous about it for the person who's going through it. It's only ambiguous to the world at large. So people see you as... Mm, Sure, life's hard. But, you know, you haven't really lost anybody because they're still right there. You know, there he is. But you've lost everything. You're so focused on everything that you have to deal with that there is no reminiscing about the past and the good things and trying to put those things in perspective. There is no thoughts of, you know, future. So you're just stuck in this rut, this place where... This is all I have. So you're no longer living for yourself. You're no longer living for, you know, the other important people in your life. You have one focus, and that is how do I get both of us through this day?
1: And you're talking about the all-encompassing busyness of being a caregiver to someone with dementia where it's getting worse and worse.
2: It never ceases. You get up in the morning... Now you're getting somebody else up. You're washing your face in the morning. You're now washing someone else's face too. You're brushing your teeth in the morning. You're now brushing somebody else's teeth. Now that might start with just coaching them. Now you have to turn on the water. Now you have to take the towel. That's the towel. It's over there.
1: You actually had to do all of that.
2: That's right. And increasingly... While you're coaching at some point, that ultimately morphs in having to do it. And having to do it for someone that doesn't understand, the words that you're using in order to describe what you're doing can be very frightening to the person, so they might lash out they may physically lash out they may push you away because they don't understand the gesture they don't understand the movements they don't understand the words so you know we think of washing your face how long does it take to wash your face in the morning it's now a half an hour process and you haven't finished there's still teeth brushing there's still showers and so on and, and so dressing on and, and dra- feeding absolutely we do don't understand that, and we shouldn't, until God forbid, you're faced with it. You are doing the very same things that you might be doing in caring for your infant child. But with your infant child, you see, you get a smile, you you get a grin, and that just pushes you forward and gives you the strength to keep going, the emotional fortitude. In the case of dementia, you're doing these things, but in exact reverse order.
0: We'll be right back. I'm Keith MacArthur. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is a podcast about my son. The rare disease that keeps him from walking or talking. I
2: mean Bryson's perfect, but his life is really hard.
0: And our family's search for a cure.
2: Oh my gosh, maybe science is ready for this.
0: It's part memoir. Part medical mystery.
2: We can do just about anything.
0: Modifying DNA. My
1: heart and my throat.
0: Kia is controversial. Unlocking Bryson's brain. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, Esther Schreiber
1: talks about the emotional toll of being a caregiver to her husband Eddie, who has a form of young onset dementia.
2: I'm just gonna. I'm gonna move the chair, and I'll sit beside you. Okay. Are you comfortable, Eddie? Do you want to sit up a little bit?
1: As Eddie's ability to function at home deteriorated, Esther sought help. Medications, music therapy. None made much of a difference. Eddie was losing the things that made him Eddie. So was Esther. You know, it occurs to me, and you you kind of touched on it, that part of The morning that you were talking about is slowly but surely drip by drip losing the person that you've been with for half a century. But sometimes they are completely replaced by somebody who is very aggressive uncharacteristically. It's almost like, is it
2: almost like being with a different person? it's entirely like being with a different person so th- what you lose is not just the person that you spent a lifetime with sharing all the you know special things that happen in life but in the process you also lose you because you're no longer living with any sense of oh what would i like to do today and then as it was in my case what emerges is a person that you never knew. What, I had to protect myself physically in terms of distance from my husband? Never, like it could never occur to me in my worst nightmares, but there it was. Even if you can explain to yourself why they're lashing out, you understand. It's fear, largely driven by fear. You mentioned
1: ambiguous loss. Are there any morning rituals dealing with your situation?
2: No. In a word, no. Not the ones that we might be familiar with as a sense of community and family, you know, sort of acknowledging. Uh, There's individual acknowledgement maybe. I have a wonderful network of family and friends that really tried to do what they could to help. And I'm forever grateful for those sentiments there's actually very little from an emotional perspective that others can do to help, even though they want to. And they too are suffering a loss. They wanna understand the disease better too. They also wanna be able to come up with comforting words. But we're not socialized for that in any way. We don't know how to deal with this. We've really not had to deal with it in the masses that we are now facing everyone's kind of grappling in the dark. What do I say? So in some ways, whether we impart that in words or not, it is conveyed in our body language. It's conveyed in everything we do. What does a friend do? They're making a party. Do they invite somebody who's in this situation? Do they not invite somebody who's in this situation? What would be the right thing to do? So it puts them in a little bit of a predicament. It is not out of being unkind. It's just you only have so much bandwidth and this is such a long process potentially this affected my husband at a very young age and blissfully he has no other physical conditions whatsoever from a medical perspective i could predecease him
1: how helpful is it to meet other spouses in a similar in similar circumstances
2: First of all, I have to say it's very helpful because you no longer feel like you're living on an island by yourself. You're still on an island, but you've got company on the island. And although there, you know, there might be nuances and slight differences in what other people are experiencing, there's a lot of sharing, and as much or as little of your own personal sharing that you want to do but you know if somebody came across a good alarm system for example for their spouse who liked to wander that information got shared
1: so lots of informational support was there also
2: emotional support i've been fortunate enough that i've also made some friendships with people that last to this day with people that i don't know that otherwise we'd really be friends Um, So, yeah, I would definitely say that there's an emotional attachment to these people in a way that you're still attached to your other friends, but this is a different type of attachment.
1: When Eddie's doctor first suggested a long-term care home, Esther said no. Over time, Eddie needed close watch and help with feeding and dressing. It became all-consuming to Esther. Esther
2: increasingly i felt i'm being defeated more and more and more with each passing day and i started to feel and he was waking up very agitated and 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 not knowing where he was and falling out of bed in the middle of the night and so now he's waking me up four or five times a night and i'm starting to live on less and less and less to no sleep. Even when you're sleeping, you sleep with one eye open. So I started to feel myself slipping. And it does, unfortunately, come down to a really, really hard decision. How many victims do you want to voluntarily allow this disease to claim? Do you want it to be one? Do you want it to be two? Including you. And, you know, no guarantee that you're going to mitigate it, but at least give yourself a fighting chance. So the decision had to be made. And so I made it during COVID at a time when we'll say that a lot of long-term care facilities were not exactly being seen in the best of light by the general public. So I clung to what I knew. And what I knew was top shelf in terms of care. It was the best decision, but it was a hard decision.
1: It was only when I I was involved in that kind of process myself that, that I learned that the lawyers have a clinical name for this particular set of circumstances. They call it an
2: involuntary separation. Do you know that? You know... Have you ever
1: heard that one before?
2: I, I've heard it, but honestly, I didn't think of it that way until you just mentioned it. But yeah, that's an apt description. And you separate physically, but you're not separated emotionally at all. But at the same time, you have to remember you can't tell the staff on the floor is caring and wonderful and generous as they are with their hearts and with their labor, you can't tell them, oh, no, 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 do it this way. Oh, no, 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 I did it that way. That's
1: not the way you would have done it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And that's a
2: hard thing to let go of because it becomes part of who you are, part of your day-to-day, part of how you care, letting go in that way becomes an emotional challenge.
1: Is it ever a lonely experience for you?
2: It is always a lonely experience. It is a lonely experience, you know, I have great kids, I have great, you know, my son-in-laws are, you know, excellent. I have grandchildren that I adore and have been a wonderful part of my life since, since, you know, Eddie's gotten sick but it's always lonely because when you lose your spouse to something like this it's the intimacies and I don't mean it from a romantic or sexual perspective somebody who shares your history and shares like do you remember this oh you know what like our granddaughter did this do you remember when our daughter did that or our son did that wasn't that fun that's the intimacy that's gone
1: the in jokes the code words that make you laugh
2: jokes absolutely the person that you shared all of those you know little subtle moments that you don't think about from a day-to-day perspective until it's gone so as you can see we've put pictures up on the wall here of our own wedding overlooking the Mediterranean Sea Yeah, one of our daughter's weddings Uh, and then you see that there's a picture of our other daughter and her wedding so that's the part that I would say is very lonely yeah It's a new phase. It's a new learning. It's a new way of experiencing today. And you don't think about tomorrow because tomorrow might bring that dreaded phone call that you never want.
1: The call display that says Baycrest on it. Oh, I went through that many, many times.
2: You got it. You got it. That's exactly it. Your heart jumps right out of its sockets.
1: Um, One time it was it was when they were asking if my sister would want to go to the opera,
2: <laughs> and that, I jumped out of my skin yes. for Here that. You go. It's an always emotional roller coaster. And recently we had an episode with Eddie where he did have to be hospitalized, so it came f- full force into my mind. And so even what, now, even,
1: even with now, all you've gone through,
2: he's he's in very late stages. He's almost completely nonverbal. Not even sure he recognizes that I'm somebody important to him when I come to visit. But you do.
1: You are so inspiring.
2: Where does that come from? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very flattering. I never feel like I'm inspiring. Uh, I always feel like I need somebody to inspire me because I don't usually feel like I'm doing quite good enough. And I'm going to say that what really inspires me the most is, as I've said, that support group that I'm fortunate enough to be involved in to this day. Most of them, bar one other person, are old enough to be my parents, And every time we jump on a call, and that's at least once a week, you still keep a sense of humor. And yet, you still have the strength to keep going. You know, you can articulate the clouds in all of this, but you can articulate the silver linings in all of this. Who am I to complain? So I have to tell you, they've become my source of strength and my source of inspiration. When people can do this and they're in their late 80s, early 90s, mid-90s, wow, I'm just awed by what people can do when they have to or when they feel they have to. So I don't know that I'm inspiring, but I've certainly been inspired by them.
1: Esther, thank you so much for telling me your story and for sharing You know, the good and the not-so-good of what it's like to be in your situation, I'm sure that a lot of people will learn a great deal from your example, and I think they will be inspired, so thank you.
2: Well, thank you. If anybody out there is indeed helped by this, then I'm grateful for that.
1: Esther Schreiber draws strength from other family caregivers with lived experience, but she's also a trailblazer for others in the same situation. And she has years to go. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. Whitecoat Black Art was produced this week by Amina Zoffer with help from Stephanie Dubois and Isabel Gallant. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza, and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.